0: Welcome to Worship in the Word with Generations Church of Granbury. You are invited to stay tuned for the next 59 minutes to enjoy some inspiring music from one of Hood County's wonderful congregations as well as an encouraging message from the Bible. The songs you're about to enjoy are from the Generations Church worship team led by Pastor Shake Anderson with the Gen Praise Band and on special occasions, some great guest musicians.
1: Later on in the broadcast, you may hear a proclamation of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, along with some teaching from the Bible with Pastor Alan Mata or another Generations Church leader for special guests. So without any further delay, welcome to Worship in the Word with Generations Church. You are listening to Worship and the Word with Generations Church of Granbury. Stay tuned for more inspiring music and a message from the Bible.
0: Generations Church, ladies, don't miss out on our women's Bible study entitled The Treasure Within. From 7 to 8.30 p.m., ladies who
1: want to know about Christ's riches are invited to the first floor project room for this fabulous study.
0: We want to empower you to walk in all that God has placed within those who are in Christ by the power of His Holy Word and His Holy Spirit. So come as you are each Wednesday night and remember, bring your children because we now have simultaneous children's classes. To get more information about everything going on, check out our weekly Lord's Day Bulletin, visit generationspeople.org and and by liking our Facebook page. We'll see you next time.
1: Sukkot is a day we commemorate. We went out of Egypt, God took care of us in the desert. We're in the middle of the desert, out in the elements, and God was taking care of us. And God protected us from all four sides with the clouds. They call the Dananiya cover. It was on top all around. Now we go out from our house into this, into, into our sukkahs. It's like we trust God even on the outside. and We build ourselves a little house where we're going to live in. So we go into a booth. We, have not a, we don't have a real roof. We have a thatch roof made out of something naturally grown. So we're kind of out in elements. It's called Skach. It has to be three or four walls with this thatched roof. And uh, we're sitting out in the elements and we're, we're saying, hey, God, we know you protect us. And we're commemorating that, that time when he uh, took care of us in the desert.
0: Jewish culture every year celebrates, according to the Old Testament, three festivals. Like seven feasts, but all within three festivals. And then they have some extras, Hanukkah and Purim. The three main festivals are Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. If you've been a Christian very long, you've probably heard about Passover. It's the Jewish celebration of their deliverance from slavery. In Egypt, Pharaoh would not let them go. Plague after plague came to them from God, and he would say, Man, turn this plague around, and I'll let you all go. And so God would turn the plague around, and he would change his mind. Well, this last plague broke his heart. It was the death of the firstborn. Son of every home in Egypt. And when it happened, they let those go to freedom whose sons they had killed. It was God getting them back, letting them know how it feels to do what they've done after many years of mercy, and letting them know what it feels as well as breaking their hearts where they set them free. So in every home there was death. And if you were Jewish, you knew the command of the Lord was to kill a lamb, shed that lamb's blood, eat that lamb, cook that lamb, eat that lamb, put that lamb's blood on the doorpost. And that night, when the judgment of God came through the land, slaying all the firstborn, it would pass over the houses where the blood was applied. And, of course, that was the slaves. They were freed from that plague. They had been plagued by slavery long enough, and God in his mercy gave them the revelation of escape from his judgment through the blood of a lamb. And so they celebrate that to this day every year in Israel and in Jewish homes around the world celebrate Passover. Probably the most well-known Jewish festival is Passover. They eat lamb, they eat bitter herbs, they eat things that aren't tasty to remind themselves of the bitterness of slavery. Another festival is the festival of Pentecost. The word Pentecost means 50 days. Yeah, sorry to disappoint all the Pentecostals in the house, but you call yourself Pentecostal, it means 50 days. What religion are you? I'm 50 days. It means 50 days after Passover. Fifty days later, they were in the wilderness, removed from slavery in Egypt, had already gone through the Red Sea and all that, and God began revealing his law to Moses on stone tablets. It began 50 days later. And so it's a celebration of the giving of the law. For believers, it's a celebration of the birthing of the church. We celebrate Passover because the blood of the Lamb, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who was killed at Passover, actually. And uh, through His blood, the judgment of God that's coming on the world is going to pass over us. And we celebrate Pentecost 50 days later, the birthing of the church when God poured out His Spirit and began writing His will, revealing His Word on the tablets of our heart and not of stone. The church was born. We celebrate that. But most believers don't know a lot about tabernacles. Tabernacles is a Jewish memory. It includes a lot of different things. But one of the things it includes is building a tent on the outside of your houses. You saw that in Israel. That was pretty current. They build these booths. They can sometimes get real elaborate decorating them. But they focus on God's goodness of of arriving in the promised land now having permanent houses, having lived for 40 years, the forefathers did, in these booths and tents out in the desert, they move out of their houses, at least the men do, the women and children is kind of optional, and live in those booths remembering the goodness of God as well as reminding themselves that the house they live in, no matter how nice it is, is but a tent compared to the house in heaven that we have to look forward to. Also during that time they give... Thanksgiving for the fruit and the vegetations. And that's what that examining of the fruit and the leaves was about, is they're, they're meditating on God's goodness in their life. Because coming through the desert, they had nothing. And one of God's primary commands under the law is to remember. Remember how quickly we forget that we are blessed. May we never forget the goodness of God. And so every year they remember and they live in these tents And at night there's dancing, and there's over 400 priestly ministers ministering during this festival. And each day these priests carry a golden pitcher of water from the Pool of Siloam and pour it out at the foundation, or they poured it out. They don't have a temple anymore, but they poured it out at the foundation of the temple there at the foot of the altar and let it run out the front door of the temple symbolically believing for fulfillment of Ezekiel's prophecy in chapter 47, that a river would come through that place that would bless the nations. And of course, we know that river was Jesus, because he stood in that place on the last day of the feast, the same day when they pour out a double portion of water. And he said, if anyone thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. And out of his heart will flow rivers of living water, this living water that brings healing to the nations. You see it in the book of Revelation. You see it in Ezekiel 47, and you see it in your own heart. When God brings life to you, there's joy that comes like a river, and you are determined to bring love to the world everywhere you go. Thank God for the river that we get to taste. But Also, what relates to our text today, in that day in the temple In the court of women, they set up four giant candelabras, 75 feet high. Each candelabra, menorahs, had four lamps. Each lamp contained about nine liters of oil, and each lamp had a ladder going up to it. So envision 16, 75-foot ladders, kind of scaffolding as it were, with these giant lamps that they would light up every night, and they would dance around these candelabras with torches. The place was a fiery, lit-up occasion, with music, instruments, dancing, food, just joyous occasion. We made it to the promised land. We are here. Also, it was a reminder of the pillar of fire that led them out of Egypt and protected them from Pharaoh. So it's a glorious time. So that occasion, I believe, is being pointed to by this primary statement we're going to look at that Jesus made. Look at verse 12 of John chapter 8. Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. Probably within eyesight of where he was talking, they were taking these lamps down. This was a day after Feast of Tabernacles. It's also believed that eventually the Jews developed an additional ninth day of the feast where they took the commandments, the laws, the scrolls out of the chest and put a lantern in their place, symbolizing the light that God's word is to bring us. So on that very day, Christ proclaims, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The Pharisees therefore said to him, you bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. Jesus answered and said to them, even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I came from and where I am going. You judge according to the flesh I judge no one. And yet if I do judge, my judgment is true. For I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. It is written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one who bears witness of myself, and my Father who sent me bears witness of me. We know in three occasions in the Gospels, an audible voice from heaven spoke affirming Jesus. At his baptism, the voice said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. On the Mount of Transfiguration, when Peter was trying to start a new religion, a voice from heaven said, This is my Son. Listen to him. In other words, Peter, shut up. Jesus is talking. Another time, he publicly said, Father, glorify your name. And a voice from heaven said, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. And so the Father was affirming Jesus as a witness by sending the Holy Spirit to enable him, living as a man anointed by the Holy Spirit, to perform great miracles of healing and to forgive people of their sins and to reveal to them the truth. So everything Jesus said, he said, the Father told me to say it. Everything he did, he said, the Father showed me to do it. So the two of them together, God in heaven and God in the flesh on earth, are one. And so they're one and yet they're together. There's the oneness of God and there's the witness of God. You need both if you want to believe the truth. How does it all work? I don't know. I just know it's in there, so I believe it. How does that light switch work, make these lights burn? I don't know. I could go to school for a couple of years probably and figure it out, but I enjoy the light in the meantime. Amen. Verse 19, Then they said to him, Where is your father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. These words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple and no one laid hands on him for his hour had not yet come. These words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple and no one laid hands on him for his hour had not yet come. Now that doesn't look real significant, but it really is. The words in the treasury could be translated near the treasury. And near the treasury was kind of the headquarters of these pharisaical and priestly dudes. That are out to get Jesus. Why? Because it's near the treasury. Man made religion is all about the money. Follow the money, you find out where their hearts are. So it's near the treasury, and also the treasury is next to the court of women. So it's a very public place. Obviously, they would want to receive funds where there's the most people. So, right at the heart of the opposition against him is Jesus, and yet he's protected. Because it's not his time yet. And he declares truth and aggravates the fire out of them. Declares himself to be the light of the world. Jewish culture, Old Testament, the law acknowledges God as the light of the world. He says, I am the light of the world. He's basically saying he is God. Like a diamond against the backdrop of black velvet. Christ's statement of being the light of the world is a beautiful thing. Because he has just forgiven a woman caught in adultery. We shared last week on how they tried to trap Jesus while he's teaching on the day after the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. They drag in to his presence as he's sitting down teaching this crowd of people, maybe a thousand people or more, drag her in front of him and set her down in front of him and said, this woman was just caught in adultery. The law says she should be killed. What should be done? And Jesus, not to be rushed or intimidated or pushed around by anyone, simply stooped down to her level and began to write in the dirt. We don't know what he wrote, but during those moments, they continued to ask him, what do you say? What do you say? What do you say? They were wanting to trap him. They were eager to catch him because if he said stoner, then they could report him to the Romans for insurrection because the Romans had come up with a law that said they couldn't execute someone for doing that. If he had said, well, we better obey the Romans, then that would make his crowd angry and they might all leave and stop listening to Jesus and thus stop his influence because they all adhered to the law of Moses and resented the Romans' intervention into their religion. But Jesus paused and then raised himself up and said, he who is without sin casts the first stone. And like a light that's turned on in a roach-filled room, the evil began to scatter. <laughs> he turned to the woman and said, where are your accusers? She looked up and said, there's nowhere here. Who's going to condemn you? No one. You see, they broke the law by trying to enforce a law, trying to trap Jesus, because the law of capital punishment for adultery included the adulterer and the adulteress. So they played favoritism, showed partiality. Injustice had already occurred. She's going to die and the guy's got free. He's probably one of their sons or nephews or somebody that had some money. He exposed their corruption simply with the word of wisdom that he gave. He that is without sin casts the first stone. So she said, there's no one here to condemn me. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And the very next verse says, then again Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He had just done it. He had just turned some lights on in people's hearts. He just revealed the sin in the lives of those that were trying to bring him down. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So even though he told this woman to go and sin no more, if she was still there, she heard him say, follow me. That was his command to all people who would believe in him. Repent. And follow me. Go and sin no more. That's repent. Follow me. You can't follow Jesus unless you repent. you got to turn from your self-willed ways to walk in the narrow way, following him. So I love it. I just love this. Where this verse, you know, uh, Proverbs says, Like apples of gold in pictures of silver, so a word fitly spoken is a beautiful thing, isn't it? Right in the midst of that chaos comes this promise. I'm the light of the world. May God make our church a place of grace where we lovingly confront evil when we see it, but we don't condemn. We don't um, throw stones. Now, some have abused that story by saying, you know, when you confront somebody for your sin, you say, well, he that is without sin cast the first stone. Nobody's throwing stones. You're just confronting a brother. Jesus was talking about real rocks, not just a figure of speech. It's there in the law. You read it. He was going to be her sin offering. He was going to die in her place. And according to Leviticus, the crime of blasphemy was punishable by stoning. So even though he was going to be crucified... And I believe he knew that because he talked about the cross. The threat of people lobbing rocks at him was very real. And I'm just suggesting it could have been one of the reasons why he died quicker than normal. I don't know, but the threat was there. And he forgave this woman for whom he was going to take a beating. I wonder how she felt when she knew of his crucifixion. The one that forgave me, the innocent one, died. But that's not the end of the story. He rose from the dead. He's the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. Can we say that? Our text, verse 12, in the contemporary English version reads, I am the light for the world. Follow me and you won't be walking in the dark. You will have the light that gives light. God's word translation says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will have a life filled with light and will never live in the dark. The message Bible speaks, I am the world's light. No one who follows me stumbles around in the darkness. I provide plenty of light to live in. The New Living Translation states, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Daniel, can you come read it for us in Spanish, brother? Newly baptized, brother. Amen. Yo soy la luz del mundo. El que me sigue no andará en tinieblas, sino que tendrá la luz de la vida. La Luz del Mundo. Love it. La Luz de la Vida. The light of life. The light changes everything. The light changes everything and it illuminates the darkness. The light illuminates the darkness and reveals our path. The light brings hope. The light brings hope and shows mercy. And gives life. The light is Jesus. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the light of the world. He begins this promise by stating, I am. This is significant, especially in this chapter. Verse 24, he said, if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. If you notice the word he is in italics, he literally said, if you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. He is the Messiah, but he is the I am. When God revealed himself to Abraham and to Moses, he declared himself to be the I am. Verse 28, he said, when you lift up the son of man, then you will know that I am And he is in italics. And he was dying on the cross. There was a Roman guard, even a heathen Roman guard, said, surely this is the Son of God. It's because he declared himself to be the I Am is why they wanted to do away with him. In verse 58, he really made him mad. He said, most assuredly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. It's not bad language or bad English or poor grammar. It's the truth. He has always been. He eternally is I am. I is. That's who he is. I am the light. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. John 1, 4, verse 9 says, That was the true light that gives light to every man coming into the world. He is our light. Light is something that is compared to God. The Bible says that God is light. It says that He dwells in unapproachable light. In heaven it said that the Lamb is the light. There's no sun or moon there. Light comes from God. Light is a reflection of who He is. It's the first thing His Word made. Let there be light. And the God who is light spoke forth and created light as we know it in this universe. And so Christ claiming himself to be the light of the world is significant. It points to his deity. It points to his nature. It points to his creativity. And it points to what he does in our life. He shines light in our darkness. I am the light of the world. In the latest issue of Texas Co-op Power Magazine, there's an article on the history of our receiving electricity here and how thankful the country folks, ranchers, and farmers were to finally get electricity and how they knew it was coming years in advance. You know, it's coming. They get together around the candlelight and lamplight and firelight and talk about the glorious days and when electricity will come their way. And some were able to afford to buy a refrigerator before they even had electricity. They keep it out on their porch I guess keep stuff in it. But once electricity came in, they'd plug it in and it worked. Some folks are so poor, when they finally got electricity, all they could afford was one light in their living room. And it was a tremendous blessing. They enjoyed it. Having light electricity is a tremendous blessing. When you go camping, you're reminded of how much of a blessing it is. And then they would save their pennies and dollars and hard-earned coins and maybe get a toaster or a radio. That's our forefathers. Right here in this county. In a sin-darkened world, bound up in legalism, Jesus came and brought tremendous blessing. Nothing had to be saved up for. Just had to wait on the right time for Him to come. And when He came, He came and brought Himself as a gift. And when He left, He sent back gifts for us to receive. All paid for by him. What a blessing Jesus has done for us. I am the light of the world. John 3.17 said, God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He came to a world that was already condemned. Condemn my sin, and the sin was revealed by the law. And the law carried with it capital punishment. So sin all ultimately leads to the need to be stopped. And nobody can stop sinning until they die or until God redeems them and changes their life. Verse 19 says, This is the condemnation that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Some people want to be evil, and they don't want the light to bother them. So, Why do people love darkness? Why do burglars work the most at night? They don't want to be seen. Why don't they want to be seen? They don't want to get caught. So it is, when the truth of God's word comes to us, we have a choice to make. Lord, do I obey you, or am I going to have to learn the hard way and go around this mountain again? The light of truth is shining on the path for the just. Jesus says, come, follow me. I am the light of the world. He who follows me is a command he gave numerous times, as I already mentioned before. The last command, command he gave Peter was, you follow me. He told him by what death he would glorify God. And Peter turned and looked at John, who wasn't getting that kind of prediction. John didn't get the prophecy he got. And so he played the, what about that guy game? And Jesus said, if it's my will that he never dies, what is that to you? You follow me. And that's a principle we all have to learn as believers. We are called to follow Jesus. We can't compare ourselves to how others follow him. We must follow him. You have a place in the kingdom that is his to lead. Let him lead you. Follow him. Watch out for the what about that guy thing. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness. If you ever checked in a hotel room and got out in the middle of the night and forgot you were in a hotel... Thought you were at home? It's possible. I've heard you can really break a toe that way. You don't turn the lights on because you don't want to wake other members of the family up. When you walk in darkness, it's dangerous. Spiritual darkness is real dangerous because temptation, if it's a good temptation in the terms of being tempting, temptation hides consequences. That lady he had just forgiven, that lady he had just rescued from destruction, had been tempted to commit adultery with that fine looking man, whoever he was. In that temptation, she didn't see a mob waiting to catch her. Those guys were so wicked, they may have set it up. I don't know. She didn't know what was going to happen, she didn't know she'd become world famous. <laughs> Love covers a multitude of sins. Thank God that story is in there. It gives hope for us. She's redeemed. We've been redeemed. In her case and in all of our case, when we're tempted to sin, we do not see the consequences. And sin always costs us more than we want to pay, keeps us longer than we want to stay, and takes us further than we planned on going. Just is that way. Thank God for the light. If we follow Jesus, He's a light will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus said in John twelve thirty five, a little while longer, the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. We are living in a world preoccupied with darkness, and they will persecute you if you point out things that are true. Sin will make you poor and keep you poor. Sin will give you a disease and keep you sick. I read a web posting from the Journal of Epidemiology. And they did a study in the late 80s and early 90s of homosexual men living in Vancouver. And they discovered their life expectancy was 8 to 21 years less the normal life expectancy for men. To point that out would bring you ridicule in the marketplace. You're a homophobe. Turn the lights on. Hello? Do the math. Sin kills. The wages of sin is death. Just is. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness. I have come as a light into the world, verse 46 of John 12, that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. The word abide is a key there. When you abide somewhere, you're living there. And it's not God's will for his children to live in darkness. You might stumble into some dark thing. Thank God there's redemption and there's forgiveness so you can get back out and go and sin no more. (laughs) He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Jesus said in John 10:10, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. In 11:25, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. He leads us to the light. I'm about to show a video clip that to me is a perfect object lesson guy with the camera is driving through a tunnel into the light and the words he puts with it is just awesome. I love it. To me, this is a symbol of the Christian walk. Follow me. I am the light that leads to life. Proverbs 4.18 says, the path of the just is as the shining light that shines more and more into perfect day one translation says the path of the just shines brighter and brighter into perfect day we live in a dark world it seems to be getting darker we need to pray for our nations leaders the decisions they face is like they really have no control of the chaos All they can do is something that might create more chaos. Yet nobody can win running for office by saying, vote me in, I'll do nothing. It might be what needs to happen, but nobody's going to vote for that guy. But the darker it is, the more valuable light is. We could turn out all the lights in this place and disconnect the batteries to our emergency lights And we could find our way out with the simple glow of a cell phone. A friend of mine proposed to his wife-to-be, she said yes, on a hilltop at Dinosaur Valley State Park. He sent a friend out ahead of time to set it up with the table and the food and the snacks and hid the ring in the appropriate place on the mountaintop there in Dinosaur Valley State Park, beautiful place. His friend left the items there. My friend arrives with the girl of his dreams takes her to the top of the mountain as the sun is setting and the stuff ain't there. They're on the wrong mountain. <laughs> and it's getting darker and darker. Twilight is becoming grayer and grayer and grayer. is becoming darker and darker. And they're in that dark path anyway trying to find their way to the other mountaintop. He's on his cell phone telling the friend, where did you go, blah, 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 and finally figured out he was at the wrong location. And in black night, they found their way with the glow of their little cell phones. The darker it is, the more valuable light is. The worse things get, the more important you are. The more important. Shine your light. Not pridefully, but humbly. Jesus is the light of the world. Chapter 9, verse 5, he said, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. He ascended and sent back the Holy Spirit to remind us of what he said in Matthew 5. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Corporately, we are the light of the world. Individually, we are lights in the Lights for righteousness, not self-righteousness, but true righteousness. Lights of humility, not inferiority, but true humility. Lights of truth spoken in love in a world full of hate, despair, and loss. And we pray. Lord, we thank you that you are the light of the world. And I pray, especially today, if anyone here is not following you with their whole heart, I pray, Lord, they get back on that path of the just that shines brighter and brighter every day. Today, Lord, restore them to their walk with you of full devotion. And I pray, Lord, for those that are completely committed to you, Lord, may they see themselves as you see them, that we, like you, are lights in the world. Just as in the natural realm we have the sun, at night we have the moon. Lord, let us be like the moon to reflect the light that you've shown in our hearts in the darkened world in which we live. Help us, Lord, to do it with love and not bitterness. Help us, Lord, to do it with compassion and not anger. Help us, Lord, to be like you. Give us wisdom, Lord, to know when to speak and when not to. Help us, Lord, to share the light of your love and the light of your life everywhere we go. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to do three things right now. I want us to worship, but also want us to find a place to pray. If you haven't been following the Lord with your whole heart, today's the day to get back on that straight path that shines brighter and brighter. Find a place to pray. You can come kneel at the foot of the platform here or kneel in your chair or sit in your chair and just do business with God. Also, as we worship, I'm going to call the prayer team forward. Line up across the front here. And as they're coming forward, if you'd like to receive prayer about anything that may be related to the message, may not be related to the message. You may need wisdom for a decision. You may need provision for a need. You may need reconciliation for a relationship. You may want to be filled with the Holy Spirit or give your life to Jesus. We'll be up here.
1: You are listening to Worship and the Word with Generations Church of Granbury.
0: Thank you for tuning in today for Worship and the Word with Generations Church. You may hear our radio broadcast again at the same time and station next week. If you do not have a church congregation to call home and you live near the Granbury area, we would love to invite you to come check us out some Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Our meeting facilities are located at 5718 East Highway 377 on the Fort Worth side of Granbury. And our website is at generationschurch.org.
1: Thanks again for tuning in to Worship and the Word. You may hear our next hour-long broadcast at the same time and station next week.
0: Tune in every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock right here on KPIR 1420
1: AM for an hour that can change your life. Join us from 10 to 11 a.m. for a wonderful time of inspiring music as well as an encouraging Bible message from the Ministry of Generations Church. Be encouraged and blessed by hearing God's Word with practical principles that you can apply in your life every day. That's 10 to 11 a.m. Sundays right here on 1420 a.m.